And I asked the question, I said, well, what happens to the weapon? They say, oh, we call the parent or the guardian who it belongs to, and they come up and they pick it up, and the child is suspended for whatever period of time. And I said, well, I was sitting there thinking to myself, this doesn't make sense. What about the parent? What about the parent? Alrighty, welcome in, kids. Another week of your favorite political podcast. We're starting off with a bang. The producer's already tripped me up once. So I'm just getting ready to start this thing. Cord button on me. Damn it! It's all right, though. It's all right. We're all happy. We're all happy here. It's, uh, I am uh, Josh Moon, and the person you hear laughing at my frustration and anger is... It's just so, it's just so funny. <laughs> you guys right. are like... It's just so funny. (laughs) Well, I am David Person. Sorry, I was laughing so much. (laughs) The the shenanigans, the shenanigans are hilarious. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to start with with a little non-political advice. Okay, Mm. and this is this is advice for life. And I want people to to take this down, write it down, and, and follow it. If ever in your life. There's a situation at your house or a house that you own or whatever in which you are going to remove carpeting and replace it with hardwood flooring. And there you get a quote on this. And in that quote, there is a price of labor for removing that carpet and the underlying pad and preparing the floor underneath uh, to lay this floor. Um and that quote is less than fifty thousand dollars. Pay it, pay the money, okay? Uh, because I have spent the last two days scraping glue off a damn concrete slab, and mm. I, I me tell you, this is not, this is not for these hands, okay? Mm. This is the, these these well moisturized and cared for hands yeah. uh, that that typically type. Yeah, yeah. They, they 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 have calluses. I have calluses on my fingertips, right. and. Uh, I, you know, I, oh, I tell you, man, I, I, I hurt everywhere last night. I, there was not, <laughs> you know, I'm not in bad shape, you know, for yeah. an old guy. Uh, yeah. But I mean, you start doing work like that, like outdoor work or work mm-hmm. around your house, you use muscles that you never use in any oh, other no question. Yeah. No and question. I mean, and they hurt, they scream at you for the next, you know, day or so. Uh, and so, but uh, they're, uh, I, I'm, I'm, if it sounds a little little different than what it normally sounds like, it's because I'm off in another room because uh, the guys are here laying the flooring. Uh, because God knows I, I wasn't going to do that. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, well, it's been an interesting couple of days. You know, we are, uh, you know, w- w- we are we are men, <laughs> but we are not uh, we are not men. Of that caliber. So yeah. there was a man that I grew up with. Uh, he was a, a deacon in our church and and one of my father's good friends, Mr. Godley. Mm-hmm. Um, and his that actually was his name, Mr. Godley. It just dawned on me. His name is Mr. Godley. God. He was also a deacon in our church. But yeah, he spelled nice. it G-O-D-L-E-Y. That's how he spelled yeah. his name. He should have removed that E. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. He could have, I guess. Yeah. And so <clears throat> Mr. Godley... By trade, I believe, by profession, I believe he was a a carpenter or something like that. Yeah. When you shook his hands, no. 
it was like you were shaking. It was like you were shaking hands with sand with a vice grip <laughs> that was covered in sandpaper. Yeah, man, that's uh, that was doing Mr. work. Godley. That was yeah, Mr. listen, yeah. I have tremendous respect uh, for for all working people that, that mm. do these sorts of jobs. They're, they are there is never uh, there's there is never should be any shame in whatsoever in people that go Definitely. out and I am in Definitely. no ways. I know how fortunate I am that I do something that I like doing, that my job is, is easy, uh, uh, you know, labor wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I respect the hell out of these, these guys that are over here today. I've been mm-hmm. talking to them and, uh, uh, you know, my daughter talked to him this morning, a little five-year-old, you know, had to go in and see exactly what they were doing and get everybody's name and tell them what she was doing and where she was going and, uh, you know, and, and watching them lay the floor and, and do it with, you know, precision. And, uh, you know, and it's just a matter of fact, you know, go out, cut this, cut that, you know, back in, boom, 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 right. you know, and it's just that process of, of watching them. That's skill, man. Mm-hmm. That's skill. That's mm-hmm. a skill, you know, that, that I don't possess. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm assuming maybe I could learn it over the course of several months and, you know, uh, before, you know, probably getting fired three or four times along the way. Uh, but <laughs> it was, it's, you know, that's one of the reasons why I get so frustrated sometimes, um, with, with what's the way that we vote here and, and the way that people get sucked into basically cons, uh, at the political level, uh, you know, because these guys, you know, they're going to work all day here, mm-hmm. you know, and they're not going to pay attention to what the hell is happening at the legislature today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so they'll be fed a line of things about what's going on. And a lot of it is just complete BS. And, and a lot of it is stuff that that is detrimental to their lives on a day. It's things that take money out of their pockets, that that limits their kids' education, that limits what, you know, what they can do. And that's the reason why I get frustrated. I don't get frustrated because you know, I hate living here or I hate the people here. Mm-hmm. I love the people here. You know, mm-hmm. I think these, these are really good dudes that are over here, uh, uh, you know, working and, and I would like for things to be more fair for them. Uh, and it just, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I just wanted to say that, you know, having done just a, a smidge of labor, uh, you got great respect for the guys that are, that are doing that. Man, absolutely, um, man. Absolutely. And 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 the workforce that the labor workforce is really a significant part of the backbone of our nation. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, um, it is. And, you know, we yeah, should. That's the reason why I push hard for unions, you know, man, because yeah. I, I won't. Yeah. I, I see what happens at a lot of these major companies and where they're making record profits. And mm-hmm. in the meantime, their employees are on food stamps, you mm-hmm. know, and that's mm-hmm. not that's not fair. It's not it's not it's not fair to the employees. It's not fair to the rest of us who are supplementing those employees uh, through tax dollars. And, um, you know, I just think that that we, when we you can see the decline in employee wages, when you look at the decline of unions uh, across the country. And it's just a matter of fairness, of straight up fairness in pay. Uh, you know, if you're earning a profit, a portion of that profit should go to the employees who are making that possible. That's just I, I don't understand yeah. what's unfair about that. Um, yeah. No, absolutely uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, and honestly, we're on a we're on quite a roll of great segues because this kind of segues right into what we were going to talk about at the top, uh, which is the the grocery tax repeal. Yeah. Uh that uh, you know, Republicans are now latching on to and believe they discovered gold. Uh, you know, and it's all <laughs> the same arguments that John Knight and those and 
Thad McClammy and uh, Hank Sanders and uh, these Democrats from, you know, 20 years ago were That's pushing. Right. You know, I mean, seriously, they'd literally been pushing this bill. I, I believe John Knight uh, introduced the first one in 97. Mm. If I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. If I'm not mistaken, I think he put he told me once that he put the first bill out there in 97 to repeal the grocery tax. I, I may have that wrong. He may he may have told me something different, but I, I want it's if if that's wrong, it's not far off wrong. Okay. I don't think it's I don't think it's far off. I mean, I, you know, that's t- yeah. 25 years. I mean, as far as I can remember, Alabama Arise has been pushing this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it's uh, because you're taxing people to eat. You know, and and you've taxed that food, that food product at every step of the way uh, up until it lands on the grocery belt, you know, uh, at the at the store. And and it it doesn't make doesn't make any sense to to charge people because you if you look at it, uh, you know, from a regressive tax standpoint, that is a, a true regressive tax because it's going to it's going to tax folks who make less money more because mm-hmm. it's a, it's a higher percentage of their income coming out. You know, mm-hmm. if the guy going in making, you know, $500,000 paying a 4% tax, not a big deal. A person going in making $20,000 a year paying that 4% tax is a hell of a big deal. Yep. Um, and so, you know, that it just is something that, and, and the other thing about it is it doesn't make any sense from a revenue standpoint mm-hmm. um, because, you're you're going to take that money, uh, the money that's coming in off the tax. Let's say you, you repeal that tax. The the person that's that's going to benefit from that, they're not going to put that tax money in their pocket. You know, really, they're going to go out and buy other things that they need for that extra money. And those other things, you're going to collect the sales tax on. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I just it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And as you said, it's very regressive. And the thing that I've never understood is and continue to just be astounded by is that it takes Republicans and conservatives so long to come to something like this. I mean, this should have been, you know, to me, this is that fat hanging slider right over the plate. You yeah. knock that thing out of the park. Yeah. You know, what are you doing? Why, why is it taking so long? Why is it taking, you know, uh, that party uh, so long to to come to this realization? You know, why why has it taken so long? Why is it taking twenty some odd years? Mm-hmm. Doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, I mean, I you know honestly, I don't, I don't, I don't really have a good answer for that um, yeah. because you know you can look at it and you look at it from a just a purely a math standpoint. Mm-hmm. And and you can see, you know, the argument has always been, all right, this money would come out of the education trust fund. How do we replace it? And the pushback has always been, well, you're not going to have to replace it. It's going to, you know, it'll replace itself with the, the expenditures on other dollars. You know, it's the same argument that Anthony Daniels made when he was on talking to us uh, a few weeks ago when he, he proposed, well, let's just have a one month moratorium on that tax yeah. and let's just see what happens. Yeah, let's uh, analyze it. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, he was that's how confident he is that the state is not, if it loses any money, it's not going to be a substantial amount of money off of off the repeal of the grocery tax. People but are going to spend that money elsewhere. But here's my thing, Josh. When conservatives and Republicans 
start talking about cutting other kinds of taxes, Mm -hmm. nobody raises analytical questions. Nobody's going around saying, well, wait a minute, we need to see how that's going to impact, you know, our income or our revenue, state revenue. Nobody's doing that. They just do it. They plow ahead and do it because they know, like we know, it's not about it's not about the, the impact. They don't care about the impact. Right. What they care about is, um, you know, the fact that they have something that is a deliverable mm-hmm. for the people to whom they answer. Meaning, you know, whoever is is funding, you know, their party, whoever is supporting their party, whoever is voting for them. That's all they're thinking about. Yep. You know, so yep. here's something where it's clearly going to be beneficial to the least of these among us mm-hmm. why are we now all of a sudden hedging and you know think you know and i'm not you know and i'm not saying that there's no merit to analysis but i'm just saying it's just it it, it seems to me that it's awfully hypocritical that we don't think about analysis when it comes to uh, things that are going to benefit you know middle and upper class people but when it comes to things that uh are going to benefit the poor, the least of these among us. Now we need to start talking about analysis. Give me a yeah. break. Yeah, no, you're, you're a hundred percent right. And you know, it, um, it, uh, because I, you know, another perfect example of that is how quickly, how quickly we managed, uh, to push through, you know, a billion dollar prison. Yeah. Uh, and so suddenly we can do, Oh, well, we've got money to do this to, to, and, and, what people don't realize is that billion dollars is what we're paying on the front end. That doesn't include the the, the interest payments that are going to come off of this thing. That's going to make it, you know, well, way more than that uh, for for this one prison is going to be more than a billion dollars. And then we're going to build uh, allegedly another one at some point, uh, although nobody can really find any anyone to actually build the thing. Uh, so, but regardless, we're gonna we know we're going to build one, so we're going to have a billion dollar prison billion dollar plus prison. Uh, and we we managed to find this money overnight. At the same time, we can't seem to find any money ever to do Medicaid expansion. I was just going to say that. Um, and, just going to say that. There, there was a new report out uh, this week, the same thing that they do every year, Voices for Alabama Children, uh, released their, their basically state of the state uh, report uh, mm-hmm. data, which is atrocious. It's, it, it is the, the highest infant mortality rates in the state are in counties where there is no access uh, uh, to to reproductive care basically there there are no there are no doctors there providing reproductive care there are no doctors there there in five of the counties where the highest rates there are no pediatricians mm. okay and I mean, uh, now we, we've already pointed out that in more than half of Alabama counties, there are no pediatricians operating. Uh, so, so we know we're, we're 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 missing a lot of folks here. Uh, we have huge increases in child abuse uh, in Jefferson County. Jefferson County had a twenty four hundred percent increase in reported child abuse cases. Twenty four hundred percent increase in reported a, child abuse cases. Wow! I just yeah, um, I don't even know what to do with that. That's that's yeah. astounding. I know, and and it's just, um, and so all of these things though go back to our insistence mm. on refusing to expand 
health care access because mm-hmm. and I'm not just talking about basic health. I'm also talking about mental health care access. And I, I'll give Governor Ivey some a, a lot of credit in, in trying to go back and, and redo uh, what Lurleen Wallace did and uh, building back up the mental health care system in the state. Because at one time it was a model for the rest of the country. Uh, what we were doing with mental health care in this state. I, I, I know for people who are, you know, haven't been here long, I know that this sounds the hell out of somebody, but it was. Mm-hmm. And we had a great system uh, for many, many years, and we let it deteriorate through a lack of funding because nobody cared. Uh, they cared more about exactly what you were talking about, greasing the wheels for their big donors and the people that they answer to. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so this is where folks like, and that's what I'm talking about, too, with like the working folks that are here. This is something that benefits them. OK, this is something that benefits you. If you're a if you work every single day uh, doing th- these are things that benefit you and your family and your life and and helping to you to find if you're a business owner, it helps you find employees that aren't out of work all the time because they can go to a doctor uh, and 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 solve minor medical problems before they become major medical problems. Uh, yeah, it just, it, it's so, it's so, honestly, all of it is so regressive. You know, we talk about regressive tax, but this is mm-hmm. regressive health care. All right. Mm-hmm. We have regressive health care, regressive mental health care, regressive taxes. It's all pushing back down on a group of people that can't take much more of this. Yeah. Yeah. And and I have to wonder, you know, those uh, uh, that's not the kids count report you were talking about. No, was that it? was uh, actually, you know what it may have been. Let me see what the actual name of that thing is. Uh, I'll tell you for sure. <clears throat> this is yep, uh, county by county of child well-being. Uh, this is uh, Voices for Alabama Children released its latest Alabama kids count data book. Yep. OK, the kids yeah, count. It's the latest kids count data book uh, came right. out yesterday. So, you know, we, we get this once a year mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it, it doesn't really change. You know, it's, it's always no. bad news for Alabama when you yeah. look at the metrics. I wonder, I really wonder when this report comes out, does, uh, does, does uh, my friend Kay Ivey, does she even look at it? Do, does does oh. Will Ainsworth, your boy, does he even look at it? You know, mm-hmm. do do the, the the do the political leaders do they even factor this into any of their deliberations, into any of their thought processes, or do they just ignore it because it's quote unquote bad news or it's uh, or it's liberal propaganda? Uh, because it's not. It's not liberal mm-hmm. propaganda. It's numbers. It's data. Yeah. You know, if the numbers were saying that things were great here, you know what? We, you know, the yeah. governor would probably hold a press conference. Absolutely, they would. Absolutely, Will they would. would hold a press conference. Yeah, look at what we've done. Yeah, so the fact that they ignore it, that they don't discuss it, to me, that is a deadly, damning, deafening silence. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the kind of silence that really says, we know we've got problems, but we're not willing to really confront them. You know, we're not, we're not willing to take the heat and do the work necessary to confront them because it's not politically expedient. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's not uh, it's not something that they believe is going to get them votes, win them votes with their base of voters, which honestly is is really astounding when you think about it, because their base of voters are some of the people who would benefit the most from this. That's the um, truth, man. Yeah, uh, you know, it, but we truth. we, uh, you know what it is though. You know how you know why this doesn't get done, right? Is because of racism. You know? Yeah, I, I think, mean. Uh, yeah, I think that's a. I think that's a a major part of it. I mean, it's a, they they use this excuse, uh, you know, to that these are the, the folks that are going to be uh, getting Medicaid are going to be black and Hispanic. Uh, you know that uh, they're going to benefit the most from this. Uh, at least that's what they say. Although I would push back and say that's not true at all. The most people uh, that fall within that Medicaid coverage gap right now are white people. Mm-hmm. Uh, white working people, people with jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, mo- mm-hmm. Most of them, majority of them, have more than one job mm-hmm. uh, that they go to. So you, you're you're talking about. Uh, it's honestly, it's kind of the age old problem that we've had here of of using racism to keep poor whites in check, to keep them voting against their own interests, and. You know, that's that's the only reason why you can put your finger on why these people would not do this, why they would not support this, why they would not push for this is that they they believe that it's not something that's going to ultimately benefit them because it's going to benefit folks of a different race. Yeah, I think um, I think you you, you're hitting on something here that I think is part of the is is part of the conversation is part of the uh, issue. So. And for those who don't know Alabama history, um, what you're alluding to is what happened at the turn of the 20th century with the passage of the 19, of the construction of and the passage of the 1901 Constitution, right. which was which was structured in such a way that, you know, the I'll say the emotional and philosophical premise was basically to create a hierarchy in Alabama that would 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 benefit the landowners mm-hmm. at the expense of everybody else but do it in such a way that the whites mm-hmm. who were not landowners you know and most whites weren't i mean you know the percentage was smaller uh you know the whites who weren't landowners or who didn't have wealth um would would basically be would would basically uh, I guess I'll say support the status quo mm-hmm. because they thought they were doing it at the expenses you said of black people, you know. So there was this hierarchy created, this economic and social hierarchy created, and so it kept everybody in check. But it's but it's also is 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 pretty obvious to see. It's also patently innately evil. Yeah, and it and it and it damages everybody who's not wealthy, who's not a wealthy landowner, who doesn't have political power. And, um, and so that's, that's been our legacy. That's been our heritage in this state. Yeah, it is. I mean, you can see it playing out right now with the school choice bills, mm-hmm. uh, you know, quote unquote, the school choice bills, where essentially you're paying for segregated schools. Um, that's all you're paying for is you're paying, you're paying. I mean, look at the press conference that they had, uh, with 20 people standing up on the stage, uh, and not a single person of color among them, 
Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's all it's all wealthier white people that are already sending their kids to private schools or homeschooling them. And they're wanting you to finance that. They're wanting you to say, they want to say, okay, look, here are all these counties where you have no problem whatsoever with your schools. You like your schools. You love, you know, like going there. There are no options really for private schools, but you're still going to finance these people sending their kids in, in Jefferson County, Montgomery County, Mobile County, Madison County, but to a smaller extent, uh, you're still going to finance them sending their kids to private school uh, at a tune of about $9,600 a year. And, you know, that it's, you know, it, I don't know what to do with, with some people anymore, man. I, I just, it just doesn't, you look at what's going on and, and the, the amount of, I, it's just, it's like people have lost their minds and, or they've continued to be mindless with it, I guess. Um, and, and you see these problems that are created all over the place uh, by these segregation efforts. Uh, and that's all they are. They're segregation efforts, the breakaway school zones, the, you know, the, 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 uh, trying to the triple A act, paying, you know, kids, uh, more parents to send their kids to, to private schools. All, all of these things are, the charter school effort. Uh, it's all it's all part of a plan to segregate schools out again, you know, because we deem we deem the schools in this state to be good schools if they're white schools. Let's I mean, let's be honest. When when people talk about, oh, that's a good school, that's a good school. Half the time, they're not looking at grades. They're not looking at report cards. They're not looking at the success of the students after high school. They're looking at whether or not the kids are going to uh, there to those schools are white or not. And it's, it's it's absurd because it doesn't matter. Okay, it doesn't matter. We know the single greatest factor in this. It doesn't matter what your race is at all. What matters is the income level of the students and whether it's white, black. Hispanic, whatever, if you have a school with a bunch of poor kids in it, it historically does worse because of the lack of resources available at that school and the lack of parental involvement, not because the parents are deadbeat parents, right. but because they're working two damn jobs at, at most of the time. Mm -hmm. You have these problems in every yeah. single one of them. Jackson County yeah. is almost all white. They've got yeah. the same problems that they've got in some of the inner city uh, schools in, in Birmingham and in Montgomery. Yeah. The same problems. And what's really unfortunate about this to me is that, uh, you know, you talk about charter schools. Uh, there's a different model for charter schools in other places. You know, yes. uh, I grew up in Chicago with a uh, uh, where there was a phenomenal woman named Marva Collins who created charter schools up there that transformed the lives of children and transformed mm -hmm. the community. Uh, Jeffrey uh, Kennedy in, um, in, in Harlem has done the mm -hmm. same thing with the Harlem uh, school, Children's yes. Zone. You know, yeah. so there, there are models out there that could be implemented here uh, with, with charter schools that could really be transformative and could be helpful. But instead, uh, you know, what we're doing is, is something, again, as you as you said, it's just another way to resegregate schools. It is. And and it's a shame. I wish I wish people would, uh, you know, I, I just just vote for yourself. man. Just just do things that matter most to you and to your family and stop worrying about the politics of it. Stop worrying about what side you're on, what your Facebook friends think, all that nonsense. 
and just work on yourself. Okay. Just work on yourself and work on your family and everything will work itself out. All right. We're going to slide out of here. Uh, we're going to come back with Representative Barbara Drummond, talk about uh, a couple of bills, including a very interesting one she has uh, that would charge uh, parents uh, with a felony if their kid brings a gun to school, which honestly, very interesting. All right, let's slide out. Alabama Politics This Week, back in a minute. Hey, uh, if y'all would do us a favor, and uh, go to, if you're on Apple Podcasts, go and rate and review our little podcast here. Uh, that would be very, very helpful for us. Uh, you know, people might pay us to do this. Well, you never know. Yeah, but yeah, but let's not stop at Apple. Also, uh, you can do the same thing on Google Play, Amazon, yeah. and some of the more Android-friendly, uh, you know, platforms uh, as well. I forget that Dave is an Android guy. I am. <laughs> Me, I'm a conformist. And so, you know, go to Apple. But seriously, wherever you go, just do it. Just just go and, and rate and review, and, and that would be very nice. Unless you're going to leave a bad one. Don't do, don't do that. Josh doesn't like don't, that. Don't leave a bad one. Thank you. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person. And we are happy now. Uh, to have with us again, Representative Barbara Drummond. Uh, and I, I know it's been been a busy week this week. I, we really appreciate you taking a few minutes. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You know, there, we, we, I know you have a bill that we, we wanted to talk to you about uh, and, uh, and then just the overall uh, workings of the legislature this week. Uh, but I want to ask you first, um, there were there were a couple of, of controversial bills that went through uh, this week. One uh, uh, over in the Senate, I believe, is where it started on uh, the you know, gang, some sort of gang prevention uh, bill. Uh, uh, that was crazy. And then also a divisive concepts bill is back from Ed Oliver, uh, which seems to just be targeting uh, teachers and uh, and the teaching of an accurate history because Ed's sensitive to facts. And uh, it when you see that, it's particularly the divisive concepts bill. What, what do you think about that? Well, you, you know, I, I, I not only do I think that that is a regressive piece of legislation? But I think it's also one that does not move the mark for Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, I think it, it, it puts another burden on teachers. Uh, when someone goes to college and goes into education, they, you know, they are taught the facts. That's mm-hmm. what they, they, they that's what their degree is in. That's what they're and what this bill does is say you are to turn your back on history, you're to turn your back on truth, you're to turn your back on facts. Mm-hmm. And and I just think that is too much of a burden for our teachers to carry. I mean, they're already carrying such an awesome burden to educate in the state of Alabama now. And we take these social issues and put them on top of teachers. And then we sit back and we wonder why there are kids that are not going into education. That is too big of a burden to take. Yeah, it just, um, it, you're, you're right. And, you know, 
Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I, I've watched this this kind of transpire across the country with the, the book bannings and the other things that have gone on with uh, with bills kind of like this and in different states and and here in this state as well when they've they've talked about trying to limit what can be taught here and what can be taught there, and and I almost am to the point where I'm like, you know what? Take this nonsense. And pass it on through, and then we'll we'll have all of these other schools without uh, the idiots that that are in charge of things, and they'll learn a completely different and accurate history of. Uh, and then in fifteen to twenty years, we'll have a whole group of people that are that are far more educated and far more better prepared for the real world uh, than some of these other little uh, the the children of snowflakes, I guess. Than, than what we're going to have. I, I mean, I, I don't know what would be at this point. I, I don't know what would be better. Well, you know what, Josh, I, I think that, you know, while they're trying to rewrite history or not have history taught, mm-hmm. they have woke up a generation. A generation of young people, because we, regardless of how they feel, they use that word woke, which, which is just so funny to me. They, they they will not be able to change the trajectory of where this country is going with tolerance as well as to the ascension. We have more mixed race children in Alabama now. We have more people that are woke because they keep putting these kinds of pieces of legislation yeah. that makes you think. And we need, you know, I tell folks all the time, Kids are being born with computer brains. They're that smart. I don't think that they'll be able, I don't care what piece of legislation they will pass, they're not going to be able to turn the hand, the clock, the clock backwards mm-hmm. because it is there. Again, I, I'm, I'm a Baptist. So when the Bible tells me the truth going to set me free, I don't think anything that they can do can, can turn that back. That is part of history. It happened. We need to know what happened so that we can grow from it and prevent it from happening in the future. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I looked at, you know, they changed. It's just a CRT bill. That's exactly what it is. Right. And when they use that word divisive, are not they not dividing us with this piece, with this legislation? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that, Representative Drummond. And and I, I I like your optimism. I like Josh's optimism. But I'm going to I'm going to play the role of the pessimist on this, <laughs> uh, meaning that while I I agree, you know, I'm a I'm a Bible believing person too. Uh, I you know I believe that um, you know that the truth will set us free. But I also think that we have to make sure that we protect the truth. And what I'm concerned about is that I see a an onslaught, not just coming from within our state, but coming from outside of our state uh, when it comes to teaching history and knowing what the real history is. And I keep asking myself, what is the game plan to ensure that young people growing up in Alabama and elsewhere in the country will, in fact, get the actual facts and not be victimized or or misinformed by these whitewashed versions of history? Well, you know, I, I understand, and I'm not going to say I'm optimistic, 
I just know that the foundation has already been set. When I was a young girl in elementary school, and I don't know about you or Josh, there was very little history taught to me as a child. I learned about Martin Luther King and all of the essential characters, but some of the background that is so empowering for a young Black woman, uh, I didn't get that in school. You know where I did get it from? I got it from two parents who wanted me to know who I was and what I stood for. And that is where I got it from. And and I can tell you, as as a parent of one daughter, she will tell you that she didn't get it and that she got it from me. I live in a part of the country where Africatown is, and, and that is a documented story of a slave ship where where these folks were taken. And it was so sad because it was done on a bet to bring them to America after slavery had been outlawed. And my daughter will tell you when that story, I was a reporter, that's my previous life. I took her to the Africatown Cemetery and it was so empowering. I think that it's going to mean that there's going to have to be a bigger parental responsibility. And I'm not just talking about biological parents, those of us that are in the village of our young people, we're going to have to expose them to the truth of their history. That's what I think is going to happen. And that's one of the reasons I think the foundation is set, because though you're trying to stifle the future generation, you have not stifled the generation of me and others Uh, One of the most powerful stories I got from Africatown was from a woman named Mama Eva, and she was actually the last surviving child of Kudjo Lewis, who was a descendant. He was on the ship. And she told me this story of these old Africans all beaten down. They would tell them the stories of how they came over, and they said, don't ever forget it. Just keep telling the story. and there are still descendants living in that community now, and they are saying that we were told to tell the story. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to tell the story. Right. And, and I agree with you 100%. And your experience uh, growing up mirrors mine. I didn't, I didn't get a lot of what I got in school. I learned a lot, the bulk of it, when it comes to black history, civil rights history. I learned it because my parents made sure that there were books in the house that I read and and that I was able to get that information from and also from reading the newspaper and and Jet Magazine and Ebony and all of these other uh you know sources of information. My concern, Representative Drummond, is that uh the bulk of children in our state may not be, may not be as fortunate as you were, or as fortunate as I was. And I would like to see, you know, we've, we've talked about the church quite a bit today. I would like to see some kind of organized effort, something that can be institutionalized, that can make sure that more of these young people are going to get the kind of information And quite frankly, it's not just black young people that need it. White young people need it, you know, Uh, but that more young people across the board can get it. One final thing too, Representative Drummond, for you to think about or respond to. Um, There's a movie coming out 
pretty soon about a man. Uh, in fact, the movie is titled Chevalier. Chevalier. And it's coming out, I think it's the end of this month, I believe. And it's about uh, an amazing historical figure, uh, uh, a person, a man of black descent, who rose through the ranks of uh, French society, I think, in the uh, 1700s, I think. Uh, I've known his story since I was a child because of the kinds of materials that my parents put in front of me. But it's just now being made into a major motion picture. I think another essential role exists in terms of making sure that these stories are not lost and that young people know them is, you know, the media. The media's got to play a role. I think there's got to be a combination of, of, the, of the church and historically black colleges and universities and the media to fight back against this, these, uh, these, this onslaught against CR, against, uh, I'm not even going to say CRT, this onslaught against, you know, uh, real history, American history, black history, civil rights history. What do you think? I agree with every everything that you say, and the pivotal person in that equation is going to be media. And, and I think that media, I'm, I'm going to say, I think that they are telling the story. That's why, again, I go back to what I said earlier. I don't think these efforts for pieces of legislation like divisive concepts will be successful because, as I said here, we have a... a um, a documentary that is in on Netflix right now about it's called the descendants. It's about these very people that I was just telling you about in Africa town. There is a, 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 a documentary on called who we are, uh, which is also, I think it's on Netflix and showtime. These are valuable, valuable pieces of, of documentaries that is telling the story. They will not be able to stifle the history. And, and again, I go back to what I said earlier. Our races, we have already mingled. I don't know about you. I have, I have so many nephew-in-laws and nephew-in-loves and nieces in love. I mean, I've got my family is a melting pot, which I love because it tells us that we can't do without each other. I think that for 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 the first time in history, we're going to see a country where people are going to say race matters less and love matters more. And I really think that, that we're seeing that happen. I really do, because if you look at just the, the, the makeup of our country right now, all of these, I, I believe, all of these things that we keep seeing now that are counterproductive to what you and I just talked about is a fear of what tomorrow may hold. And I think tomorrow has some great opportunities again, because I think that these young people that are coming behind us or just so super brilliant, they're not going to fall for the okie doke. And even if you take it out of books, they will find another way to get that information. You know, um, you know listening to it. Um, so, so one of the things that, that, um, that you know, I, I try to do at, at our house here with, with my little one, um, who's a little a little young still? She's five, and so she's she's coming up. But 
um, is I don't honestly, and I don't understand why we haven't why we haven't done this. Is you know the stories of triumph and and overcoming obstacles among in the black community, uh, in uh, in the Native American community, and and now even you know among Hispanics as well in this in this country. Those are some of the most inspiring stories for children that you could ever put on paper. I mean, you want to tell a kid that you can do anything in this country. I mean, talk about it from those perspectives. And I mean, you know, the the true story of what Rosa Parks accomplished, you know, which I didn't learn about until I was nearly 30 years old and, and working in Montgomery, you know, before well, I. Well, Josh, you know, why, why Josh, was, Josh, if you look at a book like for uh, Wilma Rudolph. One of the greatest, one of the greatest runners in the world. Yes. And, and they pulled her autobiography for children off the shelf. Yeah. And it's... you see, here is a woman who even had a handicap and she defied all odds coming up in a very segregated time. Mm-hmm. Not only having a handicap, but living during those times. And and she defied all of those. That's an empowering story for a young girl of any race. To yeah. know that, that you can do that. And 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 I just, I, I think that while they are doing this and calling it woke culture, I think they're waking us all up. That yeah. we're going to come up with ways in which we can make sure that our children get history, get truth, and get facts. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just, yeah, when you compare now, I mean, listen, there, there are some great stories about, about white people out there. I, you know, but I mean, so... But still, I mean, you know, one of the one of the bigger ones in the last year was about a guy who was too short to play football at Notre Dame. You know what I mean? And it just doesn't compare to the to the other to the other stories, to the real stories of triumph and overcoming obstacles and hate and, and people really pushing back against you to try to keep you out of uh, just, you know, equality, you know, just trying to trying to prevent you from achieving basic equality. And, you know, to to tell those stories to children. And to, you know, to kind of inspire them to achieve more, it seems like the easiest thing in the world and th- that someone would want to resist that or to, to keep kids from it is really kind of it's it's really the the, the biggest amount of hate that I can imagine. But uh, it just is. Uh, I, I, and we could talk about this for a while, but I did want to get to one thing before we let you go. And that was the bill that you have uh, in which parents would be charged uh, with a crime if their children take a gun to schools. Um, and, and I wanted to talk to you about what, what your, the reasoning was behind the bill and, and what do you hope to see out of it? Well, you know, the reasoning was rather simple to me. I, uh, I am a person, I come out of Mobile and I went to one of my schools as often as I do. I go to all of the schools in my district and they showed me the weapons that had been confiscated at that school. And I asked the question, I said, well, what happens to the weapon? They say, oh, we call the parent or the guardian who it belongs to, and they come up and they pick it up. And the child is suspended for whatever period of time. And I say, what? I was sitting there thinking to myself, this doesn't make sense. What about the parent? What about the parent? So my bill simply says that if a gun is taken on to a school campus in not your house, not your daddy's house or any, only on a school campus and authorities trace that weapon back to a parent or a guardian, you will be held responsible 
We, we bumped it down to a class A misdemeanor. But, but I really believe that this is parental responsibility because we're saying in this legislation that this weapon has to be reasonably stored or secured. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I, it does not violate anybody's Second Amendment right. You get to nope. keep your gun. But it is keeping our children, educators, and support staff safe. Mm-hmm. Because right now we know that kids, a lot of kids don't have conflict resolution. They think that is the way that you solve their problems. And so th- that's what this bill does. I mean, I got it out of committee yesterday. I was really, really happy about that because I was told by some very conservative folks that that bill would not see the light of day. It was a very tough bill to get out of judiciary, but I am glad the majority of my colleagues saw the wisdom. And I'm hoping. We'll get this bill on the floor next week, and I would appreciate any help in in telling the public that they need to call their representatives and say this is one time that we can do something responsibly to hold hold folks accountable for. And, you know, I had someone say to me, well, I just don't think you need to do a third party. We do it every day. If your kid doesn't go to school, you're in truancy. You are responsible for that child going to school. And, you know, my child deserves an opportunity to be in a safe environment to be educated. Yeah, yeah. I just, it just, I mean, the the hoops and the tiptoeing we have to do around every gun issue, it's just so absurd to me. The fact, I mean, it's like that you had to say, well, you know, you get to keep your gun. Why? Why should that person who is so irresponsible with storing their weapons that uh, a child is taking it to school, why do they get to have, they shouldn't be allowed to have a weapon. They should have to go through some sort of formal training about storing it and then and, and have a period of time in which they can't own another weapon. I, it just, mm-hmm. it's, it's astounding to me, this respect and reverence we have for guns over human lives. Over human lives. And, yeah. and that is, that's what I said on yesterday. I'm sitting there for, I think three of my colleagues voted against it. And I'm going, are you that NRA bound that you would vote against your own children? You, This one fellow has six kids, and I'm going, this doesn't take away your guns. One fellow said to me, what if I have a shotgun and I do in my car, in my truck to go hunting? If it appears on a school campus, yes, you will be charged. You need to store your shotgun out of the way of children. Yes. Oh, it's just, I just, I mean, every day there's something that just is more confounding than the next. It's just, I just don't understand. But I'm going to work hard to try to see if we can get that one across the finish line. We'll see how how, how it goes. Well, I know you got an uphill battle with anything that might, uh, you know, have to do with weapons or, you know, not showing the proper reverence to them. Uh, But, you know, I, I congratulate you on bringing the bill, and it's a it's a really really good bill, and I hope that it gets the support that it needs, and uh, and also for for spending some time. I know you're busy, and you got to get back to to the house, and uh, so we really appreciate you coming on and spending some time. All right, thank you all for the opportunity. You all have a good one. Thank you, you. too, Representative. All right, yeah, bye bye, Representative Barbara Drummond. Man, she is uh, it's she's always good. She's always yeah. uh, she's all she knows her stuff. She's classy. She puts out good bills. She can talk to you and and tell you, you know, uh, she, you know, it's not one of these people. I'm gonna tell you a story. 
All right. We had a guy the other day. We had a guy the other day that was introducing a bill. All right. Mm-hmm. And one of our reporters went over to talk to this guy about introducing this bill. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, man, I don't know. I'm just carrying the bill for somebody else. <laughs> and uh, the guy said, what? Mm-hmm. You're the sponsor of the bill. And he said, well, I'm just carrying it for, for so-and-so. And he said, well, you don't know what's in it? And he said, well, I know some of it, but I, I don't feel like I can answer questions about it right now. Call me later. Wow. I I mean, wow. man, this mm. is what I'm and, – and I say that because I wanted to, to make it clear that Barbara Drummond and most Democrats are not that way. All right? they The, the bills they carry, they know what's in the bills that they carry. And right. I'm going to say there are – yes, there are times when representatives and senators – carry bills for some, you know, the governor's office will have a bill that they would like to push. You know, the attorney general's office will have a bill that they would like to push. The ethics department will have a bill that they would like to push that they've worked with lawmakers on crafting over the period of time. And Mm. then they say, okay, will X carry this bill for us? Yes, Mm. I'll carry the bill for you. And so it's not necessarily a bill that they wrote. They worked with lobbyists or, you know, industry people or experts or lawyers or whatever to craft themselves. But it's something that came to them. But typically they're involved in the process enough that they at least know what the hell's in the bill, you know? Right. And it just, uh, but so well, that this is a is, good bill, man. It, that, that, that gun bill is a good bill. Yeah. Well, it, it only it only helps us. I mean, the, the, the bill only helps us as a society. It's not extreme. It's not, you know, it's just it's it's pretty um, I think it's pretty straightforward, as I understand it. It's it's, um, yeah. you know, it's yeah. about it's about doing something reasonable to help schools to become safer. Mm-hmm. And why that's a problem is beyond me. Yeah, you I know, guarantee you. I guarantee you. You poll that bill. Seventy percent or higher. I guarantee it. If you polled that bill, you polled re- average voters, uh-huh. you polled Republican voters. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you it's over 60 percent. I guarantee mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, nonsense. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised because, you know, uh, it's it's pretty well been established by the data anyway that the NRA and its acolytes are out of step with everybody yep. else. You know, but it but I find it fascinating that um, you know, as far as many of our legislators are concerned, um, you know, whether you're talking about at the state level or the federal level, level, um, you know, they, they, they don't really seem to care that poll after poll shows that the NRA is out of step. No. They just care about the fact, apparently, apparently, Josh, they just care about the fact that the money is still flowing from the NRA's coffers into theirs. Yep. That's the way it looks to me. Yep. That's uh I think that's right. I think that's a hundred percent right. And um it's uh it's a shame that uh that that, that is the case and that some people are uh that devoted to money over human life. It really yep. is. It really yep. is. All right, let's uh, let's slide out. We'll come back and wrap this baby up in just a minute. Alabama politics this week. Back in a minute. If you're hearing my voice, that means you are a fan of Alabama politics this week. And I want to tell you how grateful I am that you listen. 
and that you're engaged with what Josh and I talk about every week. So I want to ask you to continue listening and uh, continue to support us and definitely reach out with ideas, comments, suggestions. Uh, Your support makes a difference and it means a lot. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person. Uh, as we have mentioned uh, numerous times, if you would like to send us an email on here, you can do so uh, by using the address apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Uh, those will get uh, get over to us and uh, we'll we'll answer them. Uh, we had uh, one uh, from Stephen. Um, the interesting question is about uh, what what's happening with Will Dismukes, uh, the former uh, con- uh, Confederate uh, representative uh, from Prattville. Um, he and his trial, because as you as you may or may not be aware, uh, Dismukes was arrested on theft charges after he was alleged uh, allegedly embezzled money from his former employers at Weiss Flooring down in Pratt, uh, Prattville. Uh, he is on the trial is this week. As a matter of fact, it is ongoing as we speak. Um, we've had a reporter there, uh, at, at that trial and it is not looking good for, uh, for Will Dismukes. As as somebody, someone else mentioned to me this week that, uh, I, if I had waited on this flooring situation, I could have got Will over here to do it for 75 cents a day, uh, Hmm. at some point, uh, because apparently it's, it's, uh, not going very well for him. Uh, he is, uh. He's accused of embezzling quite a bit of money from them, and they have played uh, some audio of his father calling him a crook. Uh, oh, wow. And Yeah, yeah. His father took the stand and, and, and stuck up for him, and then the prosecution played uh, uh, these uh, these voicemail messages that he his father left for the Montgomery District Attorney, in which he called him a crook and said he was basically stealing money from everybody. Um, and, you know... Uh, all, all that kind of goes back into it. Basically, the allegations here is, is that uh, from our Will Dismuke's defense is that it wasn't him. It was his father that actually stole the money. Uh, and he didn't he didn't have anything to really do with it. And um, and so that, that that's how this whole thing was found out was uh, his Ooh. father received a, a 1099 tax form, mm-hmm. which we're all familiar with 1099s right now. Very. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was significantly higher than anyone he had received in the past, mm-hmm. uh, showing that he had made like 130 grand or some something like that. Uh, and he was like, what the hell is this? I haven't billed for this much. And so then that kind of started the ball rolling on all this apparently. And so, um, yeah, I, I, from what I understand from our way Jacob Holmes has been in the courtroom down there for APR for the last week. And, um, it, uh, it does not look, look good for, for the dismukes. So uh, that answers that. Uh, we were we got, we have a couple of good news shout outs here, which we we don't get a lot of this around here. Uh, right. One is to a friend of the show, Catherine Flowers, uh, yep. who is time one hundred, right? A time one hundred mm-hmm. most influential people uh, in the year. world. In the world. In the world. Yeah. No wonder we can't get her on. <laughs> I wonder if she's forgotten who we are all of a sudden. Yeah, she's uh she's been rocking and rolling pretty hard, man. Yeah. Uh when she was uh recently she was breaking down to me her her speaking schedule and it just, you know, she's just really just crisscrossing the country and sometimes even going outside of the country. She's just 
She's a busy, she's a busy lady. Good for her, man. Yeah. It's good to see good people uh, get those kind of opportunities and that mm-hmm. kind of recognition for doing good things and good works for people. It really is. That's, it's good, really, really good for her. Uh, I, I, it makes me very happy to, to hear that she, she's doing well. And, uh, yeah. um, you know, especially her and not her brother. Because yeah, JC, he's just a clown. <laughs> he's a no, good guy. No, I him. love JC. Yeah, yeah. Listen, no, so, sometimes you get to talk to JC. Ask JC about me. Uh, I, will. We, I will. JC, uh, JC gave me. I think it's okay for me to say this now. I think the statute of limitations has run out. Um, JC gave me one of my first uh, investigative stories at the advertiser. Uh, oh. He was he was my source on uh, on a on a big story that we wrote about uh, the guy who was over the Acadome at ASU back in the day, you know, basically embezzling money. Mm. Um, yeah, he was. Uh, it was it was something else, man. And uh, JC was is is great. I loved him. Uh, loved him then. He was uh, he was a character. All every time I've ever talked to him, man, I've left laughing. Uh, oh, so, he's, uh, he's a funny guy, man. Yeah, he is he's funny. A, dude, he's man. hilarious. Yeah, yeah, he is really funny. Oh, oh, by the way, I also brought your name up in a comment to to, to one of my ASU friends the other day uh, uh, because they you know they, they everybody is all stressed out about this Freaknik documentary that's going to be on uh, Hulu, uh, and somebody some I saw somebody had posted. Uh, the hell with a freak Nick documentary. Somebody needs to make a documentary on that foot wash that's going on in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see it real? I said, man, my, my guy, David Person, told me about this for the first time a couple of weeks ago. I had no idea this was going on. I'd pay to help finance that documentary. Uh, I want to see that. Yeah, from, from what I've heard about uh, the foot wash, it would it would give uh it would definitely give Freak Nick a run for the money. Yeah, he probably a, don't want to be filmed at either location. Let's just yeah, put it that way. <laughs> that's yeah. The uh, so a couple of folks out there were like, "Yeah, man, we pulled up that one year. We just left. We didn't even mess with that." Yeah, it's uh, a stra- yeah. It's, it sounds like there's a straight up criminal activity going on. There. <laughs> I mean, yeah. un, 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 unequivocally criminal. That's what it sounds yeah, it's like. Just right out in the open, apparently. Yeah, just uh, uh, just some yeah. uh, other wild things happening at this place, man. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, it, I don't know. It's uh, uh but yeah, but anyways, good for good for Catherine. I think yeah. uh, we've we've now caught Catherine up in a foot wash discussion, but uh, it's uh, still, you know, she understands. Uh, it's, <laughs> As I go, sometimes you know, time one hundred, uh, you know, just devolves into a foot wash. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, also, also, yeah. even rarer, yeah. even rarer on this here program, we're going to say good things about a Republican not named K. Ivy or Will Ainsworth, mm-hmm. um, and that is uh, Senator Katie Britt, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, made uh, you know state and I'm assuming national headlines this week. For something that was not embarrassing for the state, yeah. uh, you, you very rarely that that happens. Uh, and honestly, good for them for for what they did. They were at a track meet in Montgomery where their son was participating. Uh, and while they were there, a kid from Lamp, which is a high, magnet high school in Montgomery, uh, a long jumper, I believe, from from Lamp, injured so, himself. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, apparently hurt his knee really badly or hurt his leg, had some sort of, of leg injury mm-hmm. um, and, and was just, uh, you know, when he did it, screamed out in pain and was laying on the ground, uh, you know, kind of crying and stuff. 
And uh, and Katie and her husband, it was right in front of them, popped the fence, went over and uh, kind of took care of him, uh, got some got some ice and whatever. And then, uh, and then Wesley uh, picked this kid up. Uh, it was a high school high school athlete, picked this kid up and, and carried him to a car. And there's a photo of them carrying him and mm-hmm. Katie holding the ice on his leg. And if you don't know Wesley, uh, which I did, I got to know Wesley a long time ago. Uh, when he was an offensive lineman at the University of Alabama, and I covered him then. Wesley is roughly six, seven, three hundred or so pounds, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and and can move. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember seeing him race in practice one day. Now, man, the the, the boy can go, uh, and uh, at at that weight and at that size, it's something. Uh, but uh, he is uh, he picked that dude up, man, and carried him off like he was basically. Well, yeah, and I'm looking at I'm looking at the picture right now, Josh, that yeah. uh, we have on the um, the APR website, uh, the story that uh, Bill Britt wrote about this. And, yeah. you know, you're looking at um, Wesley Britt carrying this young man. And I'm going to tell you, the young man is not a small person. No, he's not. No, he's, he's got to be as big as he's got to be bigger than Katie. Well, I'm I'm thinking he's clear. Yeah, I would say he's definitely bigger than Katie, and I don't know yeah. how. It's hard to tell exactly yeah. how tall this kid is, but the kid looks like he could easily be six feet to me. Yeah. Uh, so you know, this is not a little person. Yeah. But yeah, but I but I'm with you. Kudos to uh, Katie Britt and her husband Wesley for this. Yeah. Um, let me tell you. Let me tell you the part of this I like the most, though. All right. And the part of this I like the most is none of this came from them. None of the, it didn't come from yeah. her office. Yeah. Uh, uh, they, there were some people who contacted her office and Sean Ross, uh, who was her comms person there. Uh, he, he forwarded the photos or the link to the photos that, that the parents posted on Facebook. And that's where this came from was from a couple of parents took those photos uh, yeah. who were at the track meet and posted them on Facebook. And, uh, yeah. and that's where the information came. So, and that is a good thing. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. This was not about, it, it, there's no politics here. There's yeah. no self-promotion here. It's just uh, people being, as, as we used to say back in the day, good Samaritans. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's cool. I, I give them much props for this. Yeah. What, what I get out of this personally is that again, this is a great reason why, um, you know, we have to be careful about, demonizing people yeah. in the political arena. Now, you know, th- that's th- because what we're seeing here is the act of genuinely good people, or at least people doing a genuinely good thing, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the fact that I might disagree with Katie Britt's politics 90% of the time mm-hmm. does not mean that she and her husband are incapable of doing something good, right. you know, just, and, and the same would be true just with me. They would disagree with probably 90 to 90 to 95% of my politics. Doesn't mean that I'm not capable of doing something good. Yeah. And, and I think that's what we have to remind ourselves of. And, and, and that also ought to be a place where we can build bridges to try to yeah. do good. Right. Yes, absolutely. I, I think so. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't. But we, you're right. We should be more careful about you know demonizing people. And I mean, unless we're talking about Mo Brooks, who would have definitely kicked sand on that kid while he was laying there. Uh, but otherwise, I think you know, oh, I think we're. 
We don't actually know <laughs> that, Josh. Now he may not have hopped the he may not have hopped the Speculate. fence, but then he's you know Mo was what thirty years older than Katie or something like that. I mean, he wouldn't have carried that kid, would he? He wouldn't have carried that kid. Well, I don't no think way. he could have. I mean, he's not six seven, three hundred. If there was a wheel, and listen, if that was Donald Trump laying there on the ground, he would have carried <laughs> Donald. He would have found a way. All right. Don't tell me you wouldn't have. He would have found, especially if it was during the election and he needed that endorsement again. He would have found a way to carry Donald Trump off that field. Okay. Yeah. He, 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 he I don't disagree with you, but I also think he'd probably been in a, a back brace for the next six months. But yeah, yeah we probably, I, listen, I, I joke. I joke. I don't think Mo Brooks is an awful person. I think he has really ridiculous beliefs. And, um, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of his things are hateful uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the time, and that he doesn't really care that his, those beliefs and the way he conducts himself oftentimes hurt people, uh, hurt vulnerable people. Uh, so, I, you know, I do believe that. But, well, can um, we can we linger on that a minute? Because I sure. think you're making an excellent point, and let's make a distinction here. And this is how, to me, this is how you tell the difference. So you got somebody whose tone—it's not just what Mo Brooks, you know—and I've known Mo for years. It's not just what he says; it's how he says it. Mm-hmm. It's tone. Yes, Katie Britt, I think, takes a lot of the same positions politically. That Mo has taken. Probably the majority of their positions match up, I would imagine. But I would also suggest that there's something to be said for how you say what you say. Yeah. So I can disagree with you and and yet say you're not a mean spirited person. Yeah. That you don't have a malicious intent. I gotta be honest. I've had I've had conversations with I've had arguments with Mo. And Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not convinced that Mo does not say some of what he has said out of a mean spirit. I'm not convinced of that. In fact, I'm convinced of just the opposite, that at times he has said things that were absolutely rooted, not just substantively in politically problematic areas, but that the spirit was wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think rubs a lot of us the wrong way about Mo. It's more than just he's a conservative or he's a Republican. It's how he he says what he says. Same thing with Donald Trump. It's how he says what he says. It's the same thing with DeSantis. You know, there's some mean spiritedness, mean spiritedness in what they're saying and doing. Yeah, you know, I you know, I think you make a really really good point right here. I mean, I really do because I you you let's let's don't just take Republicans. Let's take Democrats as well. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, the border issues and the way that we are handling things at the border. You know, a lot of the Biden administration ways of, of dealing with things that are happening at the border were, are very similar to the way Donald Trump was handling things at the border. But you're right. It, it's in the process of doing those things. There is not an attempt to vilify those desperate people that are coming over here and pretend as though those people are trying to take things from us, mm-hmm. you know, that they're they're coming here to steal things. They're not trying to do that. They're trying to make a life for themselves and, and better their children. You know, keep their children alive, and and so that's the way a lot of the times they they are treated at, among Democrats as though they're not they're not. That's the way the Biden administration speaks of these people. They're desperate. They're coming here. We've got to figure out a thing, a way to do this, and and to, and to make it right, and to also keep down the the illegal flow of drugs and other things that are happening there. So, and that's that's what we're we're concentrating on addressing. In the meantime, a lot of the way that they're handling it is very similar 
to the way that the Trump administration was handling, minus the these people are coming over here with their murderers and rapists and they're trying to it's all of our thing, take all of our thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just, you know, and it's just a, a whole different, you know, that that's what turns people off. And it's also what vilifies people based on their race, yep. you know? Yep. And and it just it's so distasteful and so hateful. And and uh, you know, even when, when you, well, you know, because people love to, well, look at what they're doing here. It's not that much different than what Obama did. No, but it's, it is different in the manner in which they're talking about these people mm-hmm. and the manner in which they would like for them to be treated. Because I do think when you talk about people that way, and we saw it with the Border Patrol and some of the other folks, uh, ICE, and the way that they went about treating some of these people during the Trump administration and the abuses that were undertaken there and the abuses that happened to a lot of the kids and to, uh, to a lot of the adults and and things that went on. That's what the result of that is. That hatefulness gets you results that you don't want. Yep. And, um, and I think uh, to to even bolster your point even more, we now are learning uh, that you know, there's been a resurgence of illegal child labor activity in companies, and it and it often involves immigrant children. Yes. Well, where do you think all of that stems from? It stems from the toxic uh, environment that Trump and and Jeff Sessions and others helped to create as yes. it relates to immigrants, and so now. You know, we've got companies where, you know, uh, they're, they're getting in trouble for this. And you've got to think, well, my God, what, you know, when, when did this start happening again? Well, it started, yeah. I think, during the past four years or more. Yeah, yeah there, there is a, there's a big, uh, they, everybody loves to call it a war on something. There's a, there's a, a war on children uh, mm-hmm. a, 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 among the right. Um, and in which they have vilified a number of kids and now trying to make it legal. Uh, to employ children in factories, make it mm-hmm. uh, make it legal. Uh, there, was a, there was a guy yesterday in Missouri uh, was talking about the the good things of, of uh, the good attributes of child marriage. They want to marry yeah. off twelve year olds. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. which, I mean, come on, what are you doing over here? Uh, but yeah. um, speaking of of hatefulness, man, we have some good segues. Like uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, of hatefulness, our right wing note of the week this week. Uh, was practicing a little hate herself, and that is Susan DeBose, uh, representative from Shelby County, who decided that uh, this would be a good time to introduce another uh, transgender ban. This one on uh, transgender athletes at two-year and four-year colleges in the state. Um, and, you know, well, they had a public hearing on this bill, in which it passed because, you know, it, they always do. Uh, and it's just basically banning transgender athletes from participating in college sports. Um, it's it's a ridiculous bill for a number of reasons, not least of which is the fact that um, you probably have caused more problems than you're preventing here by by say, stating that uh, a transgender male uh, would have to compete on women's teams. You know, right. uh, because that person has undergone uh, a, you know, testosterone therapy and other things uh, that would probably give her a pretty significant advantage. Uh, and so now you're going to do that. Now, I mean, we we have both, you know, expressed some concerns about this. And I think that the, they, they are fair. And when we're talking about uh, in terms of fairness, 
in in all athletics. Uh, there there's some things that uh, we need to make sure of. But I think the NCAA overall has rules and regulations that require a certain level of of uh, of therapy and and uh, you know testosterone levels and things like that that are monitored and checked. And they have to submit evidence of these things. And so, you know, I, I think that they, they do a fairly good job. We're also talking about 32 instances of a transgender athlete competing uh, in, in college athletic sports, sporting events out of 480,000 current athletes. Mm. Which you is know, basically zero. Yeah. You know, I mean, statistically, that's zero. Yeah. It just, I mean, you know, what I'll tell you, I listened to the public hearing yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one of the people that stood up was a, a allegedly an athlete from South uh, University of South Alabama who was also uh, uh, a paid mouthpiece for Talking Point USA. Um, and this person talked about her experience on high school and college athletic teams, and she said that these things were her these play, these were her happy place sports were her happy place it's where she met the majority of her friends and found acceptance and found uh, a group of peers uh that would help her through the rest of her life mm-hmm. and there was not an ounce of irony involved in her yeah, speaking on behalf of this bill that was mm-hmm. going to try to deny somebody those, those that acceptance and these things a group of people that most need that acceptance and peer group. Right. And that's, and that's, and when you made that point in the story you wrote for APR, I, you know, I think that that's a point that, that, that people need to really key in on the fact that, because it reminds us we're talking about children. Mm-hmm. We're talking about children and we're talking about their families. Yeah. So I get that this is a complicated issue. I get that, I think there are legitimate concerns on both sides of the issue. It's it's complex, but but the way to handle it is not to target one group of people in mm-hmm. this sort of one-sided, unilateral kind of uh, you know almost almost really demonizing uh, yes. you know of of this group of people. Again, we're talking about children. You know, so and family. So to me, what ought to be done is there ought to be here's the time where you ought to be convening some studies. You know, you ought to be, you know, commissioning some studies, convening some some commissions. You know, let's 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 try to hear from both sides. Let's try to come away with a consensus solution, not just something that is unilaterally dictated by legislators who, quite frankly, don't know anything yeah. about medically or scientifically. Uh, they don't know any. They don't have any expertise personally in no. in these issues. You know any more no. than I do or you do. You know, no. no, you don't. And you know, and the I think the greatest misconception out of all this, and the thing that gets pushed the most, is that there are people out there. There are there are males out there who are going to claim to be female just so they can get an advantage and win some sporting yeah, events. You know, and it's it's not happening, man. It's not. That's not. That's not what's happening. Um, it, it's. I. I mean, that. You're right in 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 what you were saying about this being about kids because. Here, here at the end of the day, I think what 
we probably ought to ask ourselves is what do we care the most about? Mm -hmm. Do we care about, even at the college level, even at the highest of college levels, do we really give a damn about the outcome of the games, you know, versus the outcome of the human beings? Mm -hmm. And and if that, you know, we, we all, I know when I was growing up, uh, from time to time, uh, on the various sports teams that I played on, we would have a kid that had uh, some sort of disability, physical disability, that would come and play with us, and 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 that child was allowed to participate. And and when I when my dad coached me in baseball or whatever, that child was given the same opportunities and the same at bats and the same everything as all the other kids were on the team, Mm -hmm. treated exactly the same. And I can't imagine how much of an impact just being treated normally, you know, likely had on, on, on those kids that that came through like that. And, and and if that, and, and, you know, a couple of them, we created friendships with Mm -hmm. that. We never would have uh, again, we never would have had those friendships outside of that, you know, because we just didn't run in the same circles, you know, and, uh, and we didn't participate with the same groups of people, but we did in that particular area. And it created those friendships and and overcome that boundary, which a lot of times disability, especially among children, physical disabilities are a real boundary for, for kids to overcome. And, you know, who gives a shit if that kid struck out when there were two runners on base and in the bottom of the ninth or sixth inning. I think we played six innings at the time and, and we lost the game. Who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, in relation to what that meant for that kid, yeah. you know, and that's the same thing that we can talk about in all of these. So, you know, what, what's the big, what, what, are, what are you trying to accomplish here? What are you, are you trying to isolate these kids? Are you trying to say, um, you know, this is more important. The outcomes of the games are more important than than possibly creating a group that ends up saving a kid's life. All right. I mean, and, you know, coaches, coaches have a way of sort of uh, navigating their way through that, you know, just as they do with players who are, you know, uh, less talented or, or, or more mediocre. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I played basketball um, in high school, uh, but I was, you know, I I was definitely not, you know, first string or, mm-hmm. or probably even <laughs> second string in some cases. <laughs> but, you're you're also getting water. Is that what you're saying? Uh, you're well, also getting everybody I, water. <laughs> I was I was probably just a notch above that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I but you. Uh, you know, practice squad quality, you know. Right. But uh, but the thing, but 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 you know, coaches know how to navigate that, and I think. Um, you know, uh, and, and I think your point is that they, they ought to be given the opportunity to do the same thing with this situation. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I just think people try to focus on the unfairness of this as though this these people are are, are, are trying to create some sort of a scam, you know, that this is all some sort of a scam and they're cheating young girls out of this or that. And, and you know, that's that's just first of all, it's not the reality. And even if it were the reality. All right. So what? You know what I mean? If you if you put them on a team and and you and the coaches and everybody treats them with respect and and you 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 work with them with that team and that that team comes together and they form friendships and they form some bonds there with people that they can uh, they can rely on that they can talk to that that makes them feel more at peace with themselves. What do you give a shit? You know what I mean? Yeah. 
What do you yeah. care? Why? Why do you care? What do you care? What do you care more about? And so that's always been. No, I'm All with right. you, man. I'm with you. Yeah, I understand. If y'all, uh, I think we uh, listen. We went over. We went over by two minutes. So um, <laughs> we said we said we were not going to go past that past one, but we did. All right, let's. Uh, but let's get out of here now. Till next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace, brother. <laughs>